right. Good morning, good morning. It is still morning. All right. I'm not sure if you've ever had this happen. Maybe you can relate to this. Where you get up to speak on a vision Sunday for in front of the whole church, and you planned on it going like short, brief, and powerful, but you came in with more material. I'm not sure if you've ever had that happen before, but no? All right. Well, that's happening to me right now. All right. It's going to be good. Let's just do a quick icebreaker for your tables, get to know people, maybe get to know them a little better. Here's the question. What is one thing you want to make sure you see or do before you leave this earth? What is one thing you want to make sure you see or do before you leave this earth? Nothing like talking about death right before uh, for Vision Sunday there. So, uh, all right, give you 60 seconds, make it, make it quicker on your tables. All right, take another 20 seconds. All right, let's start bringing the plane in for a landing here. How many of you had so many things in your heart? You're like, I'm going to need to live to at least 150. How many of you guys are like, all right, I like that. How many are like, I've already done it all? No. All right. No, you haven't. All right. Here's a powerful quote. This is not in the notes. Someone said, if your dreams are bigger than your... Hold on. No, no, no. I got it wrong. If your memories are bigger than your dreams, you've already started to die. Look at that. Talking about death twice right in the opening here. This is... uh... All right. We're going to take off here. Here we go. Well, today's Vision Sunday, I look at vision like headlights of a car. It helps you see what's coming down the road. It's as far as you can see. It helps us prepare for what God has for us. It's, and what this message is, is what we believe as a leadership God is calling us to do, to partner with him to bring heaven to earth, to bring heaven to Columbus. So I'm going to simplify it. We've done a vision message a lot of different ways. I'm going to simplify it into kind of two categories. Why we exist, then we're going to look at our four pillars. Why we exist, four pillars. You guys ready? All right. So let me set the table for why we exist. And I just want you to see that there's, a, there's an impossible mission that we've been given apart from God. This is not something we can do in our own strength. Here's the mandate. It comes from Psalm chapter 2. This is the Father saying to the Son, Psalm chapter 2, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. 
God actually has nations on his heart. The Lord, he gave us this commission. It's completely impossible. Listen to Matthew 28. He said, to disciple nations. Now, let's, let's read it here. Matthew 28, verse 19. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I want you to notice, you know, if you're, if you're a grammar person here, it's of all nations, not in all nations. He didn't say make disciples. Okay, we got some in Africa. All right, we got some in India. We got disciples in the nations. No, no, no. He wants to disciple entire nations, make disciples of nations. Is anyone seeing the difference? When God asked the prophet Isaiah, can a nation be saved in a day? He wasn't wondering out loud. He was looking for a people who would say yes. He was looking for a people who in their lives together could represent Jesus and make this thing come true. Somehow the mission in, in the church of America has gotten dwarfed to, uh, let's just make disciples in nations. When God is saying, let's make disciples of nations. The church has shrunk into, let's get people saved and plant churches and start missions. But that's not the assignment. The assignment is to make disciples of nations. And here's the problem is what happens is churches, we get all bunched up and we never move beyond the church to influence the world. But the thing is, there's other movements that are actually discipling nations. Let's take, for example, um, same-sex marriage. Well, it would have not even been an acceptable idea 30 to 35 years ago. It's now so common. You have presidential campaigns and presidential inaugural addresses endorsing it right in their speeches. How did same-sex advocates disciple a nation in the last 30 years while other people were seeking revival and looking to have, looking to have good church services? How are we doing? They did it because they didn't aim at the church only. There's actually spheres of influence that God has. Uh, some people have called it the seven mountains of influence, and so I'm going to name them. We're going to have them up here. Seven mountains of influence. Religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. The goal is to take all seven. When I mean by take all seven, I don't mean take it by force. I don't mean we got to get the right political party in. What I'm talking about is having people who are bright light, strong salt, and spread in leaven. I made up that phrase this morning. I was kind of proud of it. <laughs> salt, light, and leaven. Bright, strong salt, bright light, and spread in leaven. To have those kind of people in these positions of authority, in these positions of influence, so that the decisions that are being made, the culture that's being shaped, is actually done by kingdom people. Christians are always best when we're serving rather than we're trying to lord it over people. Anyone remember the Crusades? The, track, the church does not have a great track record of seeing those systems as their assignment or of discipling nations, but the assignment hasn't shifted, and thank goodness God is waking people up. Churches are waking up. Christians are waking up to see, you know what, it's more than just going to church. Jesus never said, thou shalt go to church. He said, make disciples of all nations. Islam already has seven nations that they've picked up in the last 50 years that are Islamic nations now. They've discipled nations. How do they do it? By the seven spheres of influence. China, this is interesting, China, an economist expects 30% of communist China will be Christian by 2030. Why? Because the church has been forced underground, and now they have to permeate the spheres of society. It's actually working in China without them even trying. John Wesley in uh, the English history, the, the English books of history actually measure England before John, John and Charles Wesley, the great reformers, and after why? They actually affected all seven spheres of society. I'm not saying England has, has carried it out that way, but they actually made such a shift that the history books measured by those men. King Solomon actually accomplished something in his city. The city was so blessed, they didn't even count the silver on the streets. Can you imagine, like, if you saw silver sitting around, like, ah, 
We're so blessed, it's not, even, it's not even worth the calories to bend down and get this thing. That's how blessed they were. Listen to 1 Kings 5.4. But now the Lord, my, this is King Solomon speaking of a city. But now the Lord my God has given me peace on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. Another translation says, I have no enemies and there is no evil occurrence. But what would the news look like if that was the case? I've done whole messages on this. Like, you know, Jerry Springer would be like, you know, my husband secretly loved me twice as much as I thought he did, you know. (laughs) Can you imagine a city where Satan had no influence? I tell you this, inferior covenants do not produce superior blessings. King Solomon lived under an inferior covenant. And he saw a city where I have no enemies and there's no evil occurrence. What we need to do is we need to look at a strategy where believers, the majority of people are not called to preach in a pulpit. They're called to be salt, light, and leaven in, the, in their sphere of influence. We went, we're, uh, the majority of people who are not called to preach in the church will find their assignment and calling to be influence shapers and decision makers in culture where they are the head and not the tail. It's an old Jewish promise. Imagine believers full of the Holy Spirit and power, full of integrity, creativity, and excellence, moving together in proximity to influence shapers and decision makers in those spheres. It doesn't have to be on a national, international scale. It can be right where you're at. You have a mission movement that's going to take the church to the world. Remember Daniel and his friends, what did they do? They were in proximity to the leaders that shape culture. What did they do? They came in to serve, not to rule over. Listen to Matthew 5.13 if you want some identity for who you are. Here's Jesus says this, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. I like that. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Salt influences the nature of the world of everything that it touches. You and I are to draw out the God-designed flavors in the environment around us. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, 13, we just read, he calls you salt of the earth, and then later on he calls you the light of the world. This is, this is profound illustrations of the nature of the impact we're to have on the world around us. So salt is supposed to add flavor. I've seen lots of sermons where it's like salt stops it from decaying, salt does this and that. It does, and those are great metaphors for what the church can be. But here's what it says in this passage, salt is to add flavor. You and I are supposed to add flavor to government. You and I are supposed to uh, flavor the meal that people every day eat every day in our community. The musical trends, we are to add flavor. The arts, we are to add flavor. Politics, the way business is done. Can you imagine a kingdom campaign in the, poli- in the political realm? <laughs> I, mean, I don't have the same thing. I mean, they're, 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 I can't even stand it when it comes that time. It's like, so-and-so, they hate dogs and they hate puppies. And it's like, and they try to like villainize them as like the worst. Like, what would it look like in a culture of honor to actually, I don't know, maybe we need to raise up some people who do that. Maybe this world's craving something other than the constant negative. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. When is a bright city that is set on a hill most visible? At night. The picture here is that the city is is set on a hill and it's all lit up. And it's a place of refuge for those in darkness. There is a go of the gospel. The go into all the world, right? We don't ever want to lose sight of that. But there's also an aspect where we become something that people can come to. And in the same way that a city is all lit up, it provides refuge for those in darkness. In the same way you go to a garden to pick its fruit, 
In the same way you go to a spring to drink water or to a tree for shade, is the same way for the people of God to become a community that other people want to come to. Where they actually look at it and say, you know what? The way they're doing life is actually better than the way that I'm doing life. What if you did evangelism by jealousy? We pour salt on their tongue and we arouse their sweet tooth for the things of God. For too long, the church has tried the eat your vegetables approach, turn or burn, get right or get left. And instead, he says we're to become the aroma of Christ. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. People may say, you know what? I'm not really interested in your Jesus, but I am interested in the way you do family. And when they find out that the way that you do family is actually because of Jesus, you're pouring salt on their tongue. I may not be interested in Jesus, but I'm interested in how you do business because I notice that you just seem to prosper everything that you set your hand to, which is actually an old covenant promise, which we've got grafted into those old promises. And now we get promises on the inside and the outside in the new covenant. If I were to set up uh, why we exist um, and if I were to put it on a magnet, it would be this, transformed people, transformed cities. I think we got the graphic up there. Transformed people, transformed cities. Guys, we're in the business of transformation, transformation in, transforming individuals, families, businesses, cities, nations, government. A 30-year dream is to present an entire city and nation to Jesus. This is the inheritance we want to leave to our children on earth as it is in heaven. That's the commission. It's doable. Why do we exist? Transformed people, transformed cities. And here's what I know. The light that shines farthest burns the brightest at home. And so here's the thing with churches that are, it's so funny. I see churches that are like wrestling through mission statements. And it's like, um, the Great Commission, you're not going to do better than that one. <laughs> it's like, as you're going in all the world, make disciples. How do you make disciples? By living such an attractive life that they bring them to the point where they say, Jesus is the best thing I could ever do. What's the heart condition of a disciple? Is, uh, he said it's like a treasure in a field. You'd be willing to sell everything so you could get this treasure. And as we live these lives, we pour salt on their tongues. We make disciples, immerse them in the reality of the Trinity. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I know I'm talking fast, but I'm excited. <laughs> baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not just a formula we pronounce them as we're dunking them into water. It's immersing them in the reality of the Trinity. Guys, one of our highest values in this house is the presence of God. You know what? It's really all we've got. Great music, teaching, blah, 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 all this stuff. It means nothing without, without the Holy Spirit on it. I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so, I just scratch my head at these churches that talk about the Holy Spirit as if he's the weird uncle that shows up to the family union that everyone's a little bit nervous about. There is no new covenant without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it might as well be the Kiwanis or the Jews. How are we doing? All right, so how we get, uh, So what we do at home is we transform these people. So what do we do? So we got why we exist, transform people, transform cities. I want to look at four pillars here. We got a graphic coming up here. Oh, ooh, it's already up there. Nice. Our team is on it. I love you. Zion is a place where people encounter God, become part of a community, get trained and equipped for their destiny, and are co-missioned to change their world. Those are the four pillars. So look at, let's look at these one at a time. And this, this is what we're focusing on for, uh, for 2022. And so you're going to probably see this graphic. You're going to hear a series about this. We're going to give you equipping on this. But we're going to help you become the kind of people that Jesus has dreamed of. Help us become the kind of people that Jesus has dreamed of. Let's talk about encountering God. We are building an encounter-driven church. You're like, hold on, Jim. Are you talking about subjective experiences? 
Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the theory. I'm not talking about singing songs about God and telling stories about him without having it affect your life. I want you to have your own story on a regular basis. I want you to have an encounter so that you can become an encounter. Too many times I see in the charismatic movement, people are just encounter crazy and they get spiritually constipated because they take in more than they ever give out. And you wonder why they're walking funny. Listen, guys, I want you to encounter God, but the purpose of encountering God is not so you can stockpile a list of encounters that you can go brag your friends about, so that you can one-up somebody and how crazy your angelic encounter was. It's so that you can become an encounter. Every believer who has shaped history had one thing in common. They had a lifestyle of encounters with God. Look at the name of our church, Zion. I didn't come up with it. I didn't really like it when I first came here. I thought it was weird. Uh, the only thing I thought was weirder was the front of the building. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like a $20 bill and a mausoleum. Like, I don't know, build that. Yeah, right? <laughs> but the name Zion in the Old Testament, it was a place. It was a mountain where the people of God came and encountered the presence of God and had access to it continually. I kind of like that. Zion, a place where the people of God encounter the presence of God, and anyone can access him continually. I'll tell you what, guys, there has to be a place in Columbus where people can encounter God. It doesn't matter when you come in. If it's the first and third Sunday, oh, there's no good place to tell this. In February, we're going to go to the first three Sundays, Sunday number one, two, and three. We're going we're to have a 50% increase in the number of Sundays. All right. What are you going to do on the fourth Sunday? You're going to be the church. That's the last point here, Okay. 92% of kids raised in the church walk away from the Lord for a period of time. Good news is many of them come back, many of them never do. 92%. Of that eight, what's, what's going on with the 8% who do not walk away with the Lord? Here was the one common characteristic they had, is they were part of a family that saw regular answers to prayer. What does that mean? They were encountering God. They were seeing the real thing. God just wasn't a story on a felt board in a classroom. He was the reality that they lived their lives from. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, on this rock, I will build my church. Well, what's the rock? What, what was he, what's he talking about? The rock that he's going to build his church on. So here's the thing is Peter had just um, had an encounter with God where the Holy Spirit gave him revelation and said, this Jesus whom you're following, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. And he said, you know what? On those revelatory encounters, I'm going to build my church. If it, yeah, can we, yeah. Let's, let's join that so it didn't sound like that. I know that wasn't the sarcastic clap, but it almost came off like that. Like, I know it wasn't meant for to be that. Oh, my. Yes. Guys, God is building his church upon revelatory encounters of who he is. Not on theories, not on sermons, not on. You need, sermons should lead you into those kind of encounters. 2 Corinthians 2.15, he says, you are the aroma of Christ to those who are perishing. I'm not sure if you've ever, aroma is a powerful thing. There's something about smell that just arrests your senses like nothing else. I, I use this illustration, but, um, you know, I, I, I try not to eat too much sugar, but sometimes you go to the mall and you walk by the Cinnabon, or as I like to call it, sin on a bun. I don't know what it is, man. It just arrests your senses. It's like a tractor beam happens in your olfactory senses, and it's just like, I wasn't thinking about a cinnamon, but now that's all I can think about. He says, you're the aroma of Christ. What are you doing? He, uh, uh, he says, um, if you, we just read it. 
if, if you lose your saltiness, how will they taste godliness? You're giving off the smell of Jesus. Jesus is the desire of nations. And what they do is when they see him in you, they're drawn to that. They're attracted to that. They're attracted to the Christ in you. Remember, it's not Christ in heaven that's the hope of glory. It's Christ in you. The only hope of this world, seeing the glory of God, is you expressing his life who is already in you to the world, representing him to the planet. It's not a giant church service. It's going to be church equipping you to represent him. If you haven't noticed, the, uh, the city isn't coming to church. The church is going to have to come to the city. I'm not sure if you're recognizing there's a difference. The old model was trying to get them into church. The new model is uh, have them encounter God, equip them, help them get transformed so they can go and be the church. Church coming here, church going there. See the difference. How are we doing? Encountering God so you can become an encounter. We've actually got families in our church that, uh, uh, one family here, I'll I'll try not to look at them because they're here, they... um, but they were, they were strong salt and bright light in their, uh, in, their, in their neighborhood. And so much so that there was another couple who was having problems in their marriage. And they began to build a relationship with this couple. And because of the Jesus that was in this couple, they saw what was going on in their marriage. This couple ends up coming to the Lord. Now we got two saved couples on this, uh, on this, in this neighborhood. There was another neighbor who was, uh, who was being attacked. He would be, he'd be fine when he went to work, but when he came home, he was being choked almost to death nightly by this demon uh, dozens of times per night. So he's hardly sleeping. He's getting choked to death. And so some of the, uh, so, so the, um, the two neighbors who are now serving God got another person or two from the church, and they went over there, prayed for this person. He gets delivered of the demon, gets saved, and now they've got three going after the neighborhood. What's happened? They had an encounter so that it could become an encounter. When I'm talking about encountering God, I'm not just talking about inspiring worship, inspiring worship or upbeat music. I'm not just talking about practical messages. I'm talking about the raw power of God to love, heal, deliver, and encourage. I'm talking about from the time they pull in the parking lot. I remember there was a lady, um, her son uh, went to the church and he said, <clears throat> Mom, she'd been thrown off a horse and had 14 fractures in her back. And so she's just in constant pain. And he said, Mom, if you come to church, you'll get, you'll get healed. She had about a 45-minute drive here. She cried almost the entire ride because she was in so much pain. As soon as she pulled on the property, snap, crackle, pop. Her back, uh, uh, you know, begins to crack and everything. And uh, the fractures are healed, and she's completely healed as she pulls on the property. I'd like to see some more of that. I'm talking about from the welcome teams, the handshakes that release presence, the words of encouragement that comes from people. As people are highlighted, listen, if God is highlighting someone to you and you've got a word of encouragement, you have full permission to go talk to them. None of this, you know, like, hey, I prophesy I'm going to be your spouse. We're not talking about that. <laughs> but you are released to release an atmosphere of joy and encouragement and call out the golden people. <clears throat> I'm talking about encountering a God for when our kids ministry. Listen, we get them to, uh, for just a short time, but they are being introduced to the real Jesus. Kids are having throne room encounters. As they're, as they're, as they're uh, like, you know, worshiping God, multiple kids are being caught up into the throne room. Where was that when I was in children's church? As we say around here, there's no junior Holy Spirit. They receive the same Holy Spirit that we do. And so they go into their soccer games and they're healing the sick. They practice healing the sick in there. They practice prophesying over each other. I remember a little while ago, we had our healing chairs on either side of the room. We had the kids work in the healing chairs. I think they were either six for six or seven for seven. Every person that sat in the chair got healed. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. 
I love it because they haven't learned all the fear, doubt, and unbelief that I'm still trying to get rid of. They're just like, oh, I think one of my favorite stories was, um, there was someone who had a knee brace on in the, in the lobby, and this little like two or three-year-old walked up with some really good theology and said, um, Jesus kisses boo-boos, took her two fingers, touched the knee, the person's knee was instantly healed. Man, that's some good theology right there. You know what? You, uh, you volunteering in the kids' ministry is not a big sacrifice. It is not, uh, you know, oh, I don't want to miss the service. I want you to see, you have a chance to influence world changers. So we would love for you to, uh, this isn't a guilt thing, we would love for you to volunteer in the, in the kids' ministry. You don't have to teach a whole class or do something crazy. We've got people that will do that. But man, to have a chance enter to, to influence the future of this nation, to plant something in there is, is just a powerful thing. Uh, we, want, we want people to encounter God during worship. And so, I, bam, we don't mind taking our time. I love the, the story. It was two different Sundays, two different girls. They, they, they came in the church, and in their past, they had been cutting themselves. So they had scars up and down their arms just for whatever reason they were doing that. And uh, they said every time they worshiped, they would raise their hands, and their sleeves would come down, and they would see the scars, and it just, it just kind of made them feel ashamed all over again. So they're very self-conscious of it. And two different Sundays, two different girls, just as they were worshiping, the presence of God came on them, and all the scars were completely healed off their arms. Yeah, yay God. So I want people to encounter God. Listen, there has to be a place where it's not just an hour 15, quick service, feel good, consumer Christianity, where the church becomes a vendor of religious goods and services, and you treat it like a restaurant, and if it's good, you leave a tip in the offering plate. Guys, we've got to move beyond this American Christianity garbage. We've got to be a place where, I don't care what Sunday they come on, first, second, or third Sunday, for, what are they, starting in February, whatever Sunday they come on, they're going to encounter God. In the book of Acts, Peter had such encounters with God, he became such an encounter that his shadow began healing people. I long for the day where uh, we don't use anointing oil on our ministry teams, we just pass out flashlights. <laughs> I'm not kidding. All right, so not only is Zion a place, I'm talking about the four pillars where people encounter God, it's a place where people connect in community. I'm going to have Phil and Rhoda come up and just tell us a quick uh, story about, you guys prepare for this, right? All right, yeah, yeah, all right. All right, let's give it up for Phil and Rhoda. These are two dangerous, dangerous Christians. Hold on, I think I just turned it off. Lord Jesus, help this. All right. All right, there you go. So I wrote it down so I could be short, brief, and powerful. That's my girl. Um, that's my girl. That's your girl. That's our girl, conceptually. Mostly your girl. There. That a girl. That a girl. That's your girl. All right. There we go. All right. We're going to be editing some parts of this message. So. so this morning I woke up, and you know how sometimes you want a great story about a miracle, and... And Holy Spirit reminded me that he said, never underestimate that whenever I bring hope, it's a miracle. It's so good. And that's what happens regularly in our group is hope. And uh, we asked the group to give us some feedback so it wouldn't be just from one angle. So some of these are written down and I'm going to share. Um, but we've, we've prayed for jobs and new jobs. Um, one of the things we love is, is we, we encourage living like all the lights are green. And so just to see people go for dreams until they get a red light. I mean, living like lights are all green changes our lives. That's so good. Um, 
Phil and I's mission for marriage is recognizing our own beauty and then calling it out in others. And um, so that's what we do a lot. And this morning in worship, I just felt like um, he said to me, I won't relent until you have my whole heart. And so when we pursue him, I mean, he pursues us more than we pursue him. So um, he won't relent until I have his whole heart. Um, So those are some of the things that happen at group. We're making new friendships. Um, Lots and lots of laughter. Um, Takers are turning... It's good medicine. Yep, it is. It is. You know what? People need to laugh in the church. Yes. Takers are turning into givers. Um, Victims are becoming powerful. We've seen the power of prayer. And and this group is just... They're the best cheerleaders. Um, So it's been amazing. And I'm going to read what one of our authors in our group said. She sent it this morning because she can't just give me one sentence. (laughs) Quote, I had lost hope for community until we found this group. This space has been healing something inside of me I can't pinpoint, but I feel the power and stability it brings me daily. That's the whole reason for group. So good. So um, I, I was reminded of what this house has given us since we've been here. And so sometimes it's really good to remember. So I'm just going to name a couple of them. I have been healed of high blood pressure. Yeah. And I've been... So good. Yeah, so that's one. Uh, Another one is I had a knee that I I couldn't run or anything. Today, I can run with all my grandboys. Like, (laughs) full tilt. Yeah. Since we've been here. So it's just good to remember, since we've been here, we've had our our debt paid off. Come on. and uh, see one last thing. You became real estate investors? Yes, we became real estate investors. Yeah, yes. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it's all, f- yeah, and we're actually launching a new business. Um, yeah, awesome. Through. So it's all the influence that's come through this house. And so the first, just thank you guys, oh, Jim and Mary, you, so much for like just, just creating a place. And I had a picture during worship, like we just get to put our bucket underneath what's here. And I also, like, I, I also believe. That, that it's not just a thin heaven, it's an open heaven here. Yeah. And so we just get to take that, and it's become really easy. It's actually become really humbling for us to be part of leading this group. It's just been a blast. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Blessings, yeah. Love you guys. Thank you. Amazing people. I don't know if you guys realize community is God's idea. God actually exists as community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'll tell you what, after two and a half decades of ministry, here's what I know. Transformation happens best in the soil of community. Christians are called to live life as a community. We see this in an early church. They ate together. They prayed together. They shared everything they had in common. In Acts 2, here was the result of that. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. In Mark 3, Jesus said, instead of just going out solo, here's what he did. Jesus went on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out. Remember, Jesus never said, thou shalt go to church. Instead, he created a community, and in their life together, they represented him to the world. They'd eat together. They learned together. They prayed together. They would try to do ministry together and fail. They fought with each other. They competed with each other. I'm not saying these are good things. This is just things that they did. They washed each other's feet. We're probably not going to do that one. All right. But Jesus, he formed this highly intentional, life-on-life, spirit-led transformation community where his disciples got called, shaped, and sent out to represent him. Guys, Christianity is not a solo sport. 
Jesus is still calling us to this today. He says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. God is everywhere, but he's in a, in a special way. He's there in community. Disciples do not get formed in, in isolation, okay? And so uh, there's something that the Lord spoke to me. I went on a, a missions trip into El Salvador back in the early 2000s. And you got, maybe you've heard me tell this story before. But, you know, you know I mean, yeah. I, for some reason, yeah, we did like street drama ministry, which was a real stretch for me. And for, uh, then those dramas, they kept typecasting me as the devil for some reason. I didn't really appreciate that. I'm like wearing makeup and sweating it off in El Salvador. And it, was, it was a difficult trip. We're going to villages. And I remember one point we had to like carry canoes across like this where the river had dried up. And it was all sorts of craziness. So, but um, in the missions trip, though, is you're outside your comfort zone and you have to depend on Jesus. Like, it's, you know, like you're going to, you know, sometimes dangerous places and just, you know, you just need Jesus. You can't depend on your, on your own strength. And you're with people you probably wouldn't hang out with. But you know what? As you're on a mission together, it's like you became family. I mean, we're, we're carrying each other's burdens, literally. Like, we're carrying the girls' backpacks and, you know, and like someone would get a fever and they're praying for them. And it was just, became family. And it was people that I never hung out with. But after we got back into, uh, you know, back to America, there was like this hunger to still want to hang out with them. And I was like, Lord, what, what is going on here? This is just, I've never experienced anything like this. And the Lord told me, that's what the church is supposed to feel like. It's supposed to feel like an extended family on a mission. And I think so many times you can get so focused on community, and it's like the TV show Friends and Cheers, and we want the community, community, community. But it's, it's a community on a mission together. And that's where, that's where strength is really built, is we're all moving in the same direction. I'm not saying there's not, you can have lots of little platoons that are going after different things and, and, uh, and, and different missions, and that, that's important. But... It's, a, it's an extended family on a mission. And I think the danger is we can do a fake version of the real deal. The real deal, real deal community, authentic community, is where people, they can get authentic and real. They can take the masks off. They can, people can show up as themselves and speak the truth and know and be known and be a place where nobody stands alone. The danger of the fake version, though, is where people are polite and pleasant when they talk together, when they hang out with each other. But this, uh, this pseudo-community, really the goal is conflict avoidance, and that doesn't really transform anybody. So in 2022, we're going to work hard to build authentic community. Some of it will be in revival community groups. Some of it will just be you getting creative and saying, you know what, I'm going to have a couple people over and see what sticks. And if it feels good, we'll have some more people over. And so there's always that tension of getting close to the people that you connect with and always having room for one more. We're going to have to walk that tightrope. But let's be honest, guys, in church, people can show up and just do church week after week, month after month, year after year, sit in the same place, smile and nod at the same faces, and nobody really gets to know them. And Jesus doesn't want that. Uh, so the first step to, uh, to authentic community, are ready for this, is you initiating community. It's not you waiting for the church to become the matchmaking service so you can have friends. At some point, we're going to have to take off the bib Cut the meat and feed ourselves. How are we doing? <laughs> Listen, Jesus recruited disciples and built a little community. You may have to do the same thing. Whether it's uh, joining an RC group, serving in a ministry. Guys, one of the best ways, get on a ministry team. We're working really hard to figure out how do we create community where people are already gathering. Inviting a few people over and seeing what works. Um, when we ask people, like, how did you get connected at Zion? You know what the number one answer was? Somebody asked me. When we ask people, um, why, are you, why is it that you're having a hard time getting connected at Zion? You know what the number one answer was? Nobody asked me. Are we, are we seeing a pattern here? So here's my instructions to you. Ask! <laughs> there we go. All right. 
So Zion is a place where people encounter God, connect in community, just ask somebody, initiate, start it. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do everything we can to help. But it's also a place where you can get trained and equipped. Are we doing okay? Pillar number three. We're seeing where we're going here. Uh, the week I prepared my first message for Zion, it was August 2008, and God told me this was an equipping church. About a month later, my pastor, Clady Keith, came in here, and he said, Zion is an equipping church. We've got prophetic words from Bobby Connor, Reese Saunders, Graham Cook. They all said that Zion is an equipping church and a resource center. Lance Wallnow and Graham Cook said that we were a prototype church. I love what Bobby Connor said. He said, you are putting swords and, the spears and, swords and spears in the hands of champions. Oh, man, I don't know what that does for you. I like, want to play some Viking music and do something dangerous. I don't know. <laughs> I've been listening to Viking music. I'm like, Mary, can we like do worship Viking music? And she wants to so bad. So if we've got any like Celtic people out there, and I don't know, I don't know what it even would sound like. Steve Backlund called Zion a hero incubator. You can write that one down if you want. Here's what King Jesus said. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've been doing and even greater works. Jim, what's the greater works? Well, how about we start with the same works? <laughs> we'll work our way up to the greater works. When Jesus said, anyone who believes in me, here's what this means. Everybody gets to play. There's not this special class of people that get to move in power and move in the gifts of the Spirit. Everybody gets to play. So here's what this means. It means that we have an opportunity to treat this church like a laboratory environment or it's a safe place to take risks where we can practice getting good at these things so we can take it out there. So in 2022, we may do some more things like that. And we may not tell you what Sundays they're on so that you don't try and skip. You're like, Jim, what Sundays? It could be the first, second, or third Sunday starting in February. That's when. There's some key areas we want to equip you in here. And so uh, just the five key areas. Best friends with Jesus. Um, guys, the engine that drives everything we do is friendship with Jesus. Abiding with him, walking with him. One of the scariest verses in the New Testament is, Jesus, is uh, when Jesus said, uh, depart from me, I never knew you. He never said, you didn't know me. He said, I never knew you. He's looking for the kind of relationship where we open up our lives to him. We don't just know about him. We didn't pray a prayer as a kid to get sprinkled or dunked. I'm talking about where he knows you. You open your life to him. That's the, that's the foundation of everything that we do here. Second thing we want to uh, equip you in is to be naturally supernatural. Like, Jim, what does that mean? I'm talking about healing. I'm talking about the prophetic. I'm talking about hearing God. I'm talking about delivering people from demons. Yes, they're still demons, and they're not all in Africa. <laughs> I'm talking about reading the Bible supernaturally. So in 2022, um, we're gonna, you're going to see more and more trainings. You're going to see the Steve and Wendy Backlund weekend, and the Word and Spirit weekend in March. You know what we're going to have in, uh, in May? Is it April, May? We're going to have a finder's training where you're going to be trained at how to locate missing children. There's actually the person who's got the largest movement in that is coming to our church to, 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 to train us on how to locate missing children. They've already got, they've got dozens and dozens of cases where it's already happened. Healing is a big call in this church. We had uh, three wheelchairs at Walmart were emptied out in one night by one of our youth. Youth were at the, uh, went to the emergency room, a group of them, they prayed, and they were, went there, they were nervous, and not really knowing what to expect, and they see a lady who was sitting there, and uh, she was crying, and they said, what's going on? And she says, well, I'm pregnant, uh, my, my baby has died in the womb, I'm here to have the baby removed, have a DNC dilation curatage. They asked if they could pray for the lady, they prayed, the baby began leaping in the womb. The lady, yeah, 
the lady screamed, and, um, and so someone, uh, the la- another lady holding a baby is like, what's going on over? And she's like upset at the noise. And uh, they explained to her, you know, what happened. They said, can we pray for you? And she said, well, I don't believe in God. And they said, well, that's okay. He believes in you. And so they said, why, why are you here? And they said, well, my baby, um, uh, the arm is paralyzed. And so they prayed for the baby there in the ER room, and the baby begins moving its arm right there in the ER. Yeah. We had a girl with cerebral palsy. I think it was at a Target. You guys are noticing the pattern. As you go, make disciples. It's a lifestyle. It's not an event. Sometimes we do events, events to get your feet wet on things. that kind of get you. It's a safe place to do it with a group of people, and there's a momentum there. But that's really just to get it so that anywhere you go, you can represent Jesus. I'm not sure if you ever watch movies. <clears throat> I do. And um, as much as I can. And... Uh, yeah, I love the previews, you know, it's like the fight scene, the chase scene. It's giving you the highlights. It's giving you a taste of what that movie is going to be like. Your life is the coming attractions for the movie, The Kingdom of God. That's coming to a theater, a neighborhood, a workplace, a government, an arts and entertainment. It's coming to a theater near you. And you are the one representing. Your life is to show people what is coming, what it is like. How will people taste, if you, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Well, guess what? When you have saltiness, they will taste godliness. That's what we're about. Uh, we had a prophet here a while ago, Reese Saunders. He saw an angel. He said, it was assigned, he said there was two angels assigned to our, assigned to our church. Um, he said they were tall. I think one's standing there, one's standing there. I can't see them, but I'm glad they're here. And um, they, had, uh, they had golden bowls, bowls of oil. And he said uh, one was for healing and one was for evangelism. And he said, as we, as we pressed in, they began to tip over and the oil would pour out. And as we kind of relented, they would stand back up. We've had several people come out of comas and catatonic states. We've had over a dozen people raised from the dead. We've had brain tumors. We've had metal disappear out of bodies, deaf ears opened, pacemakers dissolve, blind eyes open from birth, autoimmune diseases, <clears throat> bones that were surgically removed grow back instantly with x-rays to prove it. Uh, people having dozens of seizures a night instantly healed. Um, prostate cancer healed. This schizoaffective disorder healed. Um, man, Asperger's healed. Um, man, Chad Dedman prophesied that our church was going to be a healing well to the entire state. I'll tell you a verse that I love is Isaiah 33, 24. No one living in Zion will say, I am sick. Now, oh, I know it wasn't talking about our church, but I believe it's talking about our church. I believe it's an invitation. I had a dream, and in this dream, uh, I walked up to a hospital, and behind me was an army of light, and I believe it was the Zioneers. And um, I thought I had better notes on it than this. Walked up to it, and the hospital administrator met me at the door and said, I've heard about what you're doing. I know why you're here. And I said, take me to the sick. I went off to the burn unit. The um, <clears throat> army of light went to the different, different units all over the hospital. And in that day, we emptied out every bed of every hospital. In the, in the whole city. And so that's where we're going, guys. That's where we're going. I'm not sure if you guys realize, we're on offense, we're not on defense. I remember when I was a little kid, I, I was second grade basketball, YMCA league, they'd match you up by height. Boy, the poor guy that got matched up with me, because I did not understand the difference between offense and defense. So I was on defense the whole time. I am on this person like a pesky gnat. I mean, like free throws. I mean, they're like trying to, you know, trying to line me up for the free throws. And Timeouts, they're like pulling me. I'm seriously, like they're pulling me off the kids in timeout. The kids are begging to be switched. I, I didn't understand the difference. I fear that the church thinks that we're on defense. 
The gates of hell will not prevail against us, as if these gates are smashing us down, but somehow we're still standing. A gate is a defensive uh, maneuver. A gate is to keep you out, and it's saying there's no place that the gates of hell are going to be able to keep out the kingdom of God. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The rock of the people who are having encounters with God, getting connected into community, and are equipped to do the impossible. Third thing, uh, third area we want to equip people in, best friends with Jesus, naturally supernatural, debt-free and outrageously generous. Here's what I'd like to see. You guys ready for this? In three to five years, every person in here debt-free, including your home. You know what we did? We did a, I did a, um, I did a 18-part series on finances accidentally um, back in, uh, I think it was 2011, 2010. And within one year, 25% of the church was out of debt. We didn't even teach on any of the practical stuff, just the heart issues. Uh, we didn't even talk about giving till week 13. Because if, you, uh, because if you don't have the heart issues right, many people just use their giving to try to manipulate God like he's a genie. And so uh, within 20, and, and many of them had, was including paying their houses off. I'm just feeling a stirring that God wants every person in here debt-free and every person in here to have a house. Listen, guys, you owe it to the world to be blessed. Uh, Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. We're going to be equipping you in this area. Uh, I have a whole business called Wealth with God. I think in uh, May we had 300 testimonies just in, just in that of people, God doing wonderful things. Here's the thing, guys. Blessings can be used to shape the course of world history or they can become a golden calf. We want to be a people where God is using our finances to shape the course of world history. Best, uh, best friends of Jesus, naturally supernatural, debt-free, not raised so generous. Also, I want to help you have a kingdom family. <clears throat> There's churches that the president of the United States would attend and there's churches that the president of the United States would come out of. I want this to be the kind of church where presidents of banks, businesses, universities, homeowners associations, and the United States would come out of this place. <clears throat> Imagine a culture in our families where the parents imparted such a blessing to their children and such an identity that they knew who they were in Christ, that they actually walked in the prophetic destiny that God had for them. Solomon was raised in a house knowing every day that he would be king. I'm talking about imparting that kind of identity that our kids know on the inside that they're going to reign in life. Our ceiling would be their floor. I've got so much stuff in here. I'm just going to remove the next one. And the fifth area I want to uh, equip you in is discover, develop, and deploy your destiny. I like how Lou Engle said it. God had a dream and wrapped your body around it. You're either doing the work that God had for you. Jesus said, Father, I have finished the work you gave me. You're either doing the work God uh, created you to do, or you're not. And so we want to make sure that you're, you're walking in that. The f okay, <clears throat> five key areas we're equipping you in. Back to the four pillars. Enca I'm trying to remember my offhand. Encounter God, uh, be uh, become part of a community. You're going to be equipped, but you're also going to be commissioned to transform the world. Clinton, if you could come on up here, we're going to have you just share real quickly. Let's give it up for Clinton. <laughs> that I might have just muted it. Okay, hold on. You could project oh, from your diaphragm. Really close to you. That's right. <laughs> okay, thank you, Lord. The child proofed it, so yeah, go for it. Well, it does work for me. It All does right. work, yes, good, good. I'm a child of God. There it is. This what do you thing. want to know, Jim? Whatever Sean and you talked about. Okay, <laughs> well, it, this, has, this has been an amazing year. Uh, 
newlywed to a lovely wife and experiencing covenant, like covenant in everyday life with Jesus and from Jesus and overflowing to marriage, but also in uh, business, in in the workplace. My specific niche is being a plumber who works for other contractors doing remodel work. And one of the very interesting places that there's this one job that I just get excited about because it was a longtime customer that this contractor called me about. He wanted me to do a little bit of service work. It was a little bit out of my niche, but I was like, sure. Uh, he said that washer and dryer, kitchen sink, the, that drain was plugged. And this family has young kids, and it's been two, three weeks. There's been two other plumbers. I'm going to be quiet on their names, but you can see their names on billboards who've been there to solve the problem. They couldn't figure it out. I have the impression to say, yep, I'll take care of it. (laughs) And I'm thinking, they have all the equipment. They have all the gear. I don't have that. So once I hung up the phone, I asked Jesus, like, what is going on? And he gave me a picture of this pipe, and I just knew it was plugged there, and I need to cut it out and replace it. So I show up to the house. I walk down the basement, exact picture of that (laughs) pipe. I had the material with me, cut it out. They now have washer and dryer, and they were like, you could see their countenance change. So they were just like despair, and now they're like, like, come on, Jesus. That's how I see Jesus in the workplace. I love it. How many guys realize? Yeah, let's give it up for Clinton. And his beautiful bride, Jackie. Didn't he do good? He did good. I'm not sure if you guys are realizing this, but the gifts of the Spirit work more than just in your small group or in a Sunday school. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, we get to have that. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would show us things to come. God's plan to change this world is sons and daughters who love him, representing him to the world. I'm not sure if you guys realize this. You and I are plan A. There is no plan B. We is it. You are the salt of the earth. Salt that doesn't get out of the salt shaker is just a table ornament. And when you put salt in the meal, you sprinkle it over the whole meal. You don't just unscrew it and just dump it all in one spot. Okay? I, I fear that that's what the church has done is we put all of our salt into the religion mountain. And we've said if you're really spiritual, you're going to become a pastor. You're going to get a microphone. You're going to do this and that. Not recognizing God wants to sprinkle that salt into every area of society. Leaven. Jesus takes us like leaven and he plants us into a lump of dough and then he works us into that dough. The leaven never draws attention to itself. It's just there, influencing, invisibly almost. We go in with hands to love and serve. No one's looking to rule over but to serve under. But here's the good news is you no longer have to choose between being a revivalist or a teacher, a revivalist or a stay-home mom, a revivalist and a plumber, or a factory worker. God wants you preeminent in your various fields. Joseph, Joseph's competence created a platform for his theology. You have a captive audience. Because, listen, here's what Proverbs says. A person of excellence will stand before kings. So let the excellence of your work be the platform for your witness. And so as you get excellent, as you partner with God for that, he puts you on display and you can influence in those spheres. Man, tons of stories here. I love this one about um, there's a, a SWAT guy in Las Vegas. And... Uh, 
and everyone was a little bit kind of spooked by the guy because he always knew as they're getting ready to breach a, breach a house, which room the danger was in. He just knew. And so everyone got behind this guy. He'd say, listen, the danger's in this room. And he was right every single time. What's he doing? He's using the gifts of the spirit in the marketplace. I love it. Well, you know, we, I th- we don't have to over-spiritualize these things. When you're in a board meeting and you get an impression from the Lord, instead of saying, yea, that I say unto thee, uh, you'd say, you know, hey, I strongly suggest we think about this course of action, but because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit rides upon your words, it begins to influence the room. God has a plan. Go into the entire world, all its systems, all of its spheres of influence, and infiltrate the world with my power and my teachings. Don't run and don't hide. Penetrate these nations and systems with the demonstration of the love and power of God that has superior power and results. This is what Daniel did in Babylon and what Joseph did in Egypt. People are complaining about politics. Well, maybe we need some spirit-filled politicians. Maybe we need to do more than just pray for the politicians. We need to become those politicians. That's about what I thought. I thought we could get about that many claps. Yeah, we actually have politicians in this room, spirit-filled politicians, so we're so thankful for you. And we just want to say that, man, you're, you're calling, yes. Guys, there is no small callings. It's not like preacher, apostle, missionary, mom, mayor. It's like, guys, you know what, what calling is awesome? Your calling. You're going to get rewarded for what you do with your life. God's not comparing you to Billy Graham, thank goodness. So part of our callings as a church is I want to see us take the mayor's top five um, problems, partner with other churches, and solve the city's problems. I'm talking about the POWs, the poor, the orphan, the widows, the single parents. That's why we've got the Normandy Project, which we're breaking ground in January. I think we got all the permits. We got all the stuff. We have, uh, you know, we planted the church in Pickerington. We sold the building. And now we've got a whole bunch of money to go and refinish the Normandy Project. That's why we've got things. Yeah, yay, God. Yeah. This time next year, the Normandy Project, it looks like it should be, should be running. Lord willing, with construction and supply issues and all that stuff. But it's very possible that this time next year, the Normandy Project could be up and running, which is our project for girls coming out of human trafficking. It's providing a different kind of environment where it's not a conveyor belt. We're uh, you know, just trying to get as many people through. It's more of a family environment where we recognize that people are handcrafted, not mass-produced. That's so why we've got things like the Fresh Start Project, which this time next year, it's very possible that it could be running. And so uh, Fresh Start Project, is we're partnering with Derek and Shantisha, it's an alternative to the broken foster care system, where it's, uh, where it's a boy's home, where sometimes, man, the environment is not kingdom. And so what Derek and Shantisha have done is they've taken the family environment that they've created with their foster kids, and uh, they want to extend it to, to a, a bigger environment. And so we partnered with them to buy a nursing home in the uh, thriving metropolis of Thornville, <coughs> Land's cheaper out there. And a uh, 40-bed unit, uh, and so we're going uh, to, they've, they've renovated, they've done a great job, overcome obstacles, as you know, renovating old buildings and all that stuff. And so, um, but I don't know about you guys, when I, when I hear about these needs, when I hear about kids aging out of the foster care system, when I hear about kids being abused in the foster care system, when I hear about girls in, in sex slavery, there's something that just rise up and says, not on my watch. And you guys, yeah, the church is the hope of the world. You're like, Jesus is the hope of the world. Yeah, but he's up in heaven, and he's also in us. And the only hope of this world changing is the church of Jesus Christ becoming who we are, not just huddling up and having church services and going back to our lives. Okay, this is for somebody in here. Life is too short to live for comfort. Most Americans, the goal is an easy, comfortable life. 
with as little sweat as possible. I'm telling you, that's not kingdom. The Bible says crazy things like this. A soldier does not get caught up in civilian affairs. So we love the, we love the, uh, the picture of the church as family, but there's also the church as army. I believe the church is going to own businesses, and in the businesses, we create an environment that actually disciples people before they know Jesus. I believe we're going to own apartment complexes where part of it is going to be paid for by normal people, and also that house can pay, uh, is going to be free for single moms, battered women, trafficking victims. I believe we're going to see Down syndrome healed. I've had a vision of it where I saw that it was just it was awesome. Um, yeah, we've got the Burgess House of Hope. It's an outpost of the kingdom in one of our uh, toughest neighborhoods, and you see us doing outreaches there. We've got the Share Mission, where Scott and, uh, is leading that to partner with other churches. The Bible says we overcome evil with good. What if the only thing our city needs is just more goodness? I had a vision a while back where three events took place in a two-week period that completely changed our city, turned it upside down. Uh, one was the mayor's child was kidnapped, and some of our people prophetically located him. The second instance was a judge's son was healed of stage four cancer. And the third one was a Muslim imam's firstborn son was raised from the dead. It was all from people in our church. It was in a two-week period, and it had the effect of Acts 19, and it said, and the name of Jesus was held in high esteem. This is what we're equipping people for. I believe we're going to have an alternative to the emergency room downtown. Instead of pulling into the ER room, they come to our healing rooms. I believe we're going to have prophetic people locate missing children. And uh, the, next year, we're starting a dead-raising team. Without one, somehow we've raised over a dozen people from the dead. I don't know how it's happened. With one, I like to see it get to the point where the, uh, right next to the obituaries is the list of dead-raisings in the newspaper because it's becoming such a regular occurrence. Here's the biggest obstacle I see to us fulfilling this vision. Consumer Christianity. It's, it's, it's living for comfort. It's treating the church like you are a wine connoisseur, sampling the vintage of every sermon. Francis Chan said, there's a simple exercise I walk through with church leaders. First, I have them list all the things that people expect from their church. They usually list obvious things like a really good service, age-specific ministries, a certain style of worship, a well-communicated sermon, Conveniences such as parking, clean building, coffee, child care. I would say um, getting out in a timely manner. There's other things people expect. Then I, list, then I have them list the commands God gave the church in Scripture. Usually they mention commands like love, another, love one another, visit orphans and widows in their distress, make disciples of all nations, bear one another's burdens, etc. And then ask them, what would upset your people more? If the church didn't provide things from the first list or if the church didn't obey the commands in the second list? Services are too long. Small groups didn't really get me. Messages didn't really... You see what I'm saying? This is consumer Christianity where it's like um, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This one's a little too soft. This one's a little too hard. This one's a little too loud. This one's a little too long. Guys, there's people who are getting their tongues cut out for preaching the gospel in other countries. Listen, guys, the way things are going, I don't know how much longer we're going to have the religious freedoms. There may be a time when we're called, and it's, I, I say it's, it's time to draw the line in the sand. It's saying live or die is for Jesus. So will you commit to being the church for the sake of the world? The church is the only organization on the planet that primarily exists for the needs of its non-members. Here's some news, guys. The church ain't for you. <laughs> it's to equip you 
so that there's people who have never heard. Guys, one encounter with a contagious Christian can undo years of bad experiences with religion. That's what we're raising enough for. I'm not saying we don't love you. I'm not saying we're here to help you do your destiny, but it's not just for you. I guess that's probably more accurate. So here's the call to action. Will you commit to encountering God? Not just on Sundays. When you come on Sundays, come expecting. Don't come thinking about how tired you are or the argument you had in the car. Come here expecting, God, I'm not just coming to receive, I'm coming to give something. Will you initiate getting connected in a community? Invite someone over, see how it goes. Will you commit to getting trained and equipped? Will you commit to getting commissioned to transform your sphere of influence? I know it's a lot to say yes to. Just keep showing up those first three Sundays starting in February. This is is all we're going to be talking about in 2022 is equipping you, putting swords and spears in the hands of champions. Followers of, I'm, I'm circling for a landing, this is it. Followers of Jesus don't belong to a church. We are the church. Wherever we are, the church is present. Church is not something outside of ourselves that we go to to join or support. It is something we are. The spiritual expression of Jesus' followers was not characterized by a set of religious activities layered on top of other interests. Jesus invaded all areas of life. Church was not an event or place. It was a way of life. It must become a way of life again Enter in the church on a mission. Here's what I like to do. I like you guys to stand up, and I'm going to read some declarations over you, and then we're going to uh, do one fun thing at the end. You guys okay? Once the church service goes past noon, it officially counts as fasting, just so you know. So right now, everybody in here has been fasting for the last 11 minutes. There it goes. Yeah, doesn't that feel good? You're like, I cannot wait to break this fast. Me neither. I'm going to read some things over you. And, uh, and I want you to take that magnet home, and I just challenge you, put it up on your fridge. And when you go in there, man, just let it wash over you again. God, I, I thank you that you're transforming me to transform this city. There's an anointing on our church to redefine normal Christianity. Let me tell you this. Jesus was the most normal Christian who ever walked the face of this planet. I feel like God has handed us an envelope, an assignment, to help bring transformation to the region on a massive scale. Guys, the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Government, academia, and business, they're important, but they cannot transform the human heart. We are in the greatest revival in human history. Yet there remains a distance between what should be and what will be, and that distance is you. What will you become? You are the bridge between history and his story. You are the sons and daughters of the prophets, the sick The demonized, the poor, the blind, the lame, and the lost are all waiting to see what you will learn. And I declare over this, you will not disappoint them. Here's my declarations over you. You are a preview of a movie. Your life shows people what is coming to earth, the kingdom of God. You are a terrorist training camp to destroy the works of the devil. You are a family of God on earth conducting his family business, which is on earth as it is in heaven until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. You are the fiancé of Jesus Christ. You are God's plan A to reconcile all things visible and invisible to his son. And there is no plan B. You are those who have been impregnated with the DNA of God, resulting in you becoming a container of his glory and blessing. You are those who have been enfolded into Christ like an ingredient into cookie dough. Those who have been entwined with the life of Christ like a piece of rope woven together. You are those who have been blessed before you deserve it, 
and now you have access to everything heaven contains. You're a group of people from every tribe and nation who have been adopted by God, and now Father delights to treat us as if we were Jesus himself. You are the hope of the world and the hope of Columbus. Lord, I bless your people. I thank you that they are the most dangerous group in Columbus, Ohio, who is not content to have church, but to be church. And Lord, I just thank you that you've given us this assignment. You'll give us the resources, give us the wisdom. But uh, I'm just asking you guys, just if, if any part of this is hitting you, just in your heart, say yes. <laughs> say, God, I don't know how this is all going to happen. But God, as for me and my house, we just say yes. We will become those people who have encounters and become encounters. We will become those people who become part of a community. We become those people who get equipped, and we become those people who are co-missioned to represent Jesus to this planet. Lord, I just thank you for your heart for Columbus. We love you, Jesus. Amen.